This is Wordfall, with historical novelist Rosanna M. White, offering our words to the Lord at the crossroads of faith, family, and fiction. Belief and Truth Back in the days when I spent an hour at least of every weekday reading aloud to my kids for school, it was no great surprise to me which books from our reading list my kids loved best. The novels. We always had a novel going, and they were usually classics, often Newbery Award winners, historical fiction selections that tied in with what we were studying in history. But it wasn't long before Rowan, as a primary schooler, would start asking the same question with every single book. Is this true? At the time, I would explain historical fiction to him that the characters themselves were from the author's imagination, but they were interacting with true events or showing us a true glimpse of the world in which they were set. As a historical novelist, I took great delight in explaining what this was to him. But Rowan would just make a face and say something along the lines of, but I want it to be true. These old memories, which are about a decade old at this point, came back to me the other week as David and I were talking about theology on one of our morning walks, as we do, What we were asking, does it really mean to believe in something? It's an interesting question if you dig down below the face of it. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. Using the word belief there tells us that the very word gets at something important, some need planted deep within the heart of humanity. But we use the same word for other things. We ask if kids believe in Santa Claus. We talk about whether we believe in ghosts. As a novelist, I hear all the time whether my plots or characters or twists are believable. Combining that thought with Rowan's question brought me to a kind of strange but inescapable quirk of the human mind and heart. Our belief does not hinge on whether something is true, but on whether we want it to be. We can be willing to believe something, not because the evidence is irrefutable or the facts beyond dispute, but simply because we find the story compelling or convincing. Then there's the flip side. We can choose not to believe something because we don't like it. We once sat in a Bible study in which there was a questionable version read of a verse. We had the Greek in front of us, and so we could look at it and say, actually, that's not accurate in that translation. It reads more like this. And someone replied, well, I just don't believe that. I recall just blinking at this person. Here was a woman who professed to be a Christian and believed the Bible to be true, but who was unwilling to believe a particular statement that was irrefutably from the Bible and upheld in the majority of translations through time, if not that particular one, because it didn't align with her worldview. And it wasn't even one of those verses you could just take out of context or which was poetic. It was a concept expounded on over and over again in the epistles, namely, to put others above yourself. How, I wondered, can you just say you don't believe it and expect that to be a valid argument against it? And yet, how often do we all do exactly that? We reject something because we don't like it. How often do we cling to something untrue because we do like it? How often do we think our very belief or unbelief is all that it should take to convince the world to think like we do? It's a concept we've been talking over a lot as we think about miracles through the history of the church, of healings associated with things like relics, of the mysteries of faith. When we're looking on those things from the outside, our questions tend to be, did that really happen? (laughs) I don't know if I can believe that. 
but it isn't the truth of it that we're objecting to. There are Eucharistic miracles, for example, when communion wafers have been turned into flesh, that have been scientifically examined and confirmed, but people will still dismiss it. Not because it isn't true according to the definition of fact, but because they can't believe it. Why can't they believe it? Because if they believe it, they have to admit to other things too. They have to accept the whole of faith. They have to accept as truth other things that they have denied. You cannot believe in a miracle without granting the validity of the God and the church and the people who performed it, which is not only what can cause differences in denominations and what they believe, but what keeps people outside the church from believing too, because they cannot grant one thing without granting the whole. The real beauty is in the reverse, though. When we surrender our wills and our logic to God, suddenly we can believe in things that seemed impossible because we hold Him as the ultimate truth. We can believe in the Red Sea parted. We can believe in the dead rising. We can believe in Peter's shadow healing people. We can believe in the blind receiving sight, in storms being calmed, in angels battling for us in the heavenly spheres. We believe it not because it's believable, but because when we put our hand in God's, he gives us the grace to accept as truth what defies logic. He gives us grace to want to believe, and so to do so. The cry of that desperate father, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, suddenly comes into clarity. We are all capable of believing in what isn't true, but the real triumph of faith is being able to believe in what is. Check out rosannamwhite.com for information about me or my books and to subscribe to my newsletter. This episode of Wordfall is brought to you by Bookish Tees and Totes, bringing you t-shirt and tote bags for book lovers created by book lovers. Check out bookishteesandtotes.com to see our latest designs. Wordfall is a proud part of the White Fire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv podcast for other shows I know you'll love.